There it is. All right. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a brand new week, and uh, I'm super stoked. We're going to have a lot of fun uh, diving into more into this inclusivity topic. So uh, bringing our guest back for round two, you all tune in, and uh, let's see where we go with it today. Here we go. Practicing polyamory, real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, all right. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to this beautiful Monday. Before we jump in and chat with today's amazing guest, I want to remind everybody we're doing three shows live every single week, which means lots of opportunity for all of you to ask questions. In fact, I have a really good one pending when I find the right guest. So if you have questions about your relationships, if there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on the show, slide into my DMs, let me know, uh, or leave a comment while we're uh, here live. Follow me on all social media platforms at Practicing Polyade. Let me know what it is that you want to talk about. And as always, a reminder, if you're listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. None of us are perfect. We're here to share as many imperfect stories as possible because I know that the more stories we hear, the more others will see us in themselves, and the more representation we have, the more we can strengthen our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up to share your imperfect story too. All right, that's my spiel. And now let's get on to introducing, reintroducing our guest. Today's incredible guest is back for round two, generously giving us her time and coaching me through understanding what it takes to create a safe and inclusive space here on the show. We had our first chat just 12 days ago, check out episode 84, and we immediately got into some good discussion around the importance of knowing my own heritage and history. In the meantime, I've taken the time to chat with a close friend and some family members to dig more into this shared Mexican-American heritage, and I'm excited to share some of these stories with today's guest. Our guest and I have both received a ton of positive positive feedback from all of you, so thank you all, uh, and we're excited to continue this conversation to not only help me create a safe space here, but hopefully encourage all of you to create safe spaces wherever you build Polyam community too. So joining us once again out of Vancouver, British Columbia, counselor, coach, teacher, writer, and speaker, welcome back to the show, Olivia Fermi. All right, Olivia, let's dive right in. Um, yes, I want to hear about your homework. So I yeah, gave you quite homework. a bit of okay. homework last time, and it sounds like you've been at it. Yeah, well, you know, one of the first things that I wanted to do uh, – well, one of the things that, that you asked me to do was just to talk to people to get kind of this sense of the history. So, I mean, I did. Um, my my good buddy Tavo, who was commenting on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, he he was generous and gave me some of his time. I got a, an opportunity to talk to him uh, for about an hour and hear all of his stories about uh, assimilating. And uh, he lived in tj came to school here so he was one of those people that did that that trek across the border every day so for people that might not know i'm assuming tj is tijuana tijuana yes yes yeah. thank you yeah and also i want to say that i'm really excited that you that it seemed like a new idea for you to look at your heritage last time and that you've so embraced it 
because that really is, um, as we talked about, step zero. That's step zero is just understanding my own heritage. And yeah, so that then you can invite others from that place of knowing who you are, invite, you know, and create an inclusive space here. Totally. So, yeah. Totally. So how are you feeling about your identity after all these conversations you've had? Kind of. In a lot of ways, unchanged, but also like it's really cool to like understand the history. Like my my aunts, for example, I had I had the opportunity this weekend to speak with my mom and two of my aunts and my tias, if you will. Uh, yeah. And and my tias were telling me about their experiences. Uh, coming into America and how they actually uh, spent some of their years going to school here in the U.S. and some of their years going to school in Mexico. Um, I'm I'm hearing these stories, and you know, same thing with Tavo. You know, when when, when I had I had a chance to chat with him and hearing his stories of coming across the border and doing all these all of these things. I'm still trying to make the connection of how how that applies like to me because mm -hmm. those weren't my experiences those were their experiences. So what's the connection that I'm missing? Yeah, that's the that is the question, isn't it? So what so when you talked with your tias and your mom, it sounds like that touched you in some way. Yeah. I mean, like, like what touched you, what moved you or what, what other emotions did you have? That's the place to start to answer. Okay. Your about okay. You know, it was, it was in the midst of a party. We were uh, celebrating my grandma's 92nd birthday. Um, I didn't get a chance to talk with my grandma, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to do that in the next uh, week or two. But listening to them tell their stories, one of the things that really, um, stood out to me, resonated with me was, was my eldest aunt, my, my tia Techi. Uh, she was the one who was like, you know, as much as we had to go through all of this stuff, like I was never going to just lie there and take it. She said, you know, I'm, I'm an action oriented person and I'm going to do the things that I need to do to, to make it. Um, I'll tell you one of the things that really, one of the other things that really stood out to me though was, uh, the trauma of actually being deported. Yeah. So that's incredibly traumatic. Yeah. So that eldest aunt, uh, she lied to the um, immigration officers when they came to the house to pick everybody up. She told them that she was a neighbor. So she ran across the street, knocked on the door, and uh, the lady let her in, you know, pretended to be mom, whatever. And so she watched as the other five children and my grandma were all put onto this like Greyhound bus type of thing. Wow. So and all the siblings and her mom. And her mom, her dad was at work. And she stayed at the neighbors. And she stayed at the neighbors and the neighbor drove her to uh, her dad, to my grandpa's workplace. And together they drove down to Tijuana where, uh, as I found out, the immigration officers or services or whatever they took them to the port to the border watched them cross and then left 
And so they were just sitting on the other side of the por- of the border underneath a tree. So did they come back again then? Yeah, they came back again sometime later. Um, I don't think I quite got the full story of like them coming back. Uh, but when they did come back, they were living in a garage, like the seven of them or eight of them. They were living in a garage. Uh, they would spend the days outside like they you know why would they want to come home to this this dingy garage they just like stayed out and uh some years down the line some somebody was able somebody from their church was able to help them get like a little two-bedroom apartment and then eventually the house that uh my grandma still owns that i was at this weekend that's Mm. actually where they grew up Mm. so how do you feel about that um I guess I feel like there's a lot of history in that driveway I was sitting in. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> For kidding. One thing. That was quite an achievement to get to live in that home. Totally, totally. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm also proud of my family because I feel like uh, every generation has improved. And every mm-hmm. generation's getting a little bit better, a little bit more successful, you know, pushing the envelope a little bit more, I guess. Yeah, pride's important. And the, and the, I'm sensing gratitude too. Yeah, you know, yeah, gratitude. You didn't say it, but I feel it in your atmosphere when you talk about your family. Yeah, I mean, they went through a lot. You know, my grandma went through a lot to uh, to get us over here, first of all, and to to maintain that. I mean, uh, I found out for the first time that uh, my grandma actually did work when she was younger. Um, because all my life that I knew her, she never worked. Uh, I didn't know that she did actually used to drive, but she got really anxious at stop signs, especially mm-hmm. four-way stop signs. So she didn't drive very much. Um, was she and... anxious for being pulled over by the police? Or no, she was just like like it was just like a, an anxiety thing. Like she just didn't mm-hmm. handle the the pressures of driving very well. <laughs> um. But yeah, and then, you know, my grandpa working at a nursery and between them, you know, um, uh, my my eldest aunt again, she said that she never felt like they were lacking. You know, they, they, they always had food on the table. They always did, you know, they always had enough. Um, so they never felt like they were lacking, even if they weren't rich. It sounds like there was a lot of ingenuity in your family, and I get the sense that you've picked up that trait just from a little. <laughs> bit yeah, I would say that. Um, my my aunt definitely, and my my dad too. Uh, my dad put that entrepreneurial spirit in us uh, a lot when we were younger. Uh, my aunt has been a tax professional, a real estate agent, and any number of things, and um, found out that both she and another one of my aunts got uh degrees um some from Mexico one of them got, actually got their degree from Mexico uh from a, a school in Mexico so like my family's a little bit more even educated than i realized and so have you been to Mexico i've been to Mexico um when we were kids we used to go a lot so this is this is something else that kind of stood out to me from these conversations um, for anybody who has ever crossed the border down here in Tijuana, um, you probably remember 
waiting at the line to the border and a bunch of people, a lot of times kids, like really, really young kids trying to sell gum or toys or, you know, snacks, whatever, walking to the cars and trying to get people to sell uh, whatever they can. Uh, in fact, and this story I knew long ago, um, people will rent babies to hold at the border to, you know, generate more sympathy and, mm -hmm. and try to get more money that way. Mm -hmm. So I can't remember if my, 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 my family was somehow involved in that. I don't remember exactly what the story is. If somebody was, but I feel like, like there was, there was some connection to that, you know, even within my own family. So like they were helping or, yeah, something like that. I, I don't remember exactly what it was or, or doing that. Or maybe they just knew somebody that was doing that. Their neighbor used to do that. Something like that. But Yeah, but so yeah. a word that comes to me is like edge. Like really living on the edge of, of the law, of the border, mm -hmm. of what's allowed, of what's acceptable. You know, right. so there's the kind of pejorative cast on that and yet then there's the ingenuity and the creativity and the um kind of playfulness almost playfulness yeah like just the way you went back and forth across the border you know? <laughs> yeah i suppose there was a little bit of that i mean um my family did get to a point where uh you know my youngest uncle was born in the states and then finally uh you know the family was able to get papers you know uh green cards to stay yeah. um but my eldest aunt the one who watched my family get taken away mm. she was like f that this ain't happening to me she found out that from the time that she got her green card to the time that she could apply for citizenship was five years and five years later she was right there getting her citizenship mm. as quickly as, as possible because she did not want to be in that situation anymore my other aunt she waited my mom waited eventually they did it but they weren't like for whatever reason in a rush to do it mm -hmm. the way that aunt was right and what about language did you hear spanish yes. things spoken? do you speak spanish so i speak a little bit of spanish um my grandma and all four of my grandparents only spoke spanish none of them mm -hmm. spoke english Right. Um, but my aunts and uncles, uh, you know, what they were telling me was when they first went to school here in the States, they would get picked on, they would get made fun of, they would, you know, mm -hmm. because they were the only ones that spoke Spanish. There were even other, uh, Latinos in their classrooms, but for whatever reason, they were the only ones, uh, speaking Spanish. And so they had to very quickly, um learn the language and they did they they picked it up really really quickly within just a few months they were at home uh speaking spanish among themselves but then my grandma didn't want them to lose their spanish mm -hmm. so she actually sent uh sent them to go to school in mexico i think that's what i wrote down Grandma didn't want them. So, yeah, she sent them to Mexico to go to school. So uh, they did um, some of their middle school and high school in in Mexico. 
and uh, they they okay. So the they were between second and sixth grade when they first came to the U.S. They did a few years of school here, and then kind of went back to Mexico for high school and college. And how about you? How's your Spanish? Eh, it's okay. A scale of one to ten, I'm probably like a three. But you've got a nub there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's enough. Yeah, I always say uh, that it's enough to talk to my grandma because she's 92 years old and she speaks really, really slowly. Mm-hmm. But when three. you know when they're talking three. that that like legit yeah. Mexican Spanish and it's really, really fast, I can't no. keep up. Okay. So let's check back in on that question you asked about connection. Yeah. Um, well, where are you at with that? With being with being Latinx, with being Mexican American. I acknowledge it as part of my family's history. Yeah. Um, I recognize, you know, some of the struggles that uh, my family went through to make a life here. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, grateful, I guess, that that those generations before me uh, did all of that, went through all of that. Um, man, I mean, they, they, they kept doing it. Cause yeah, I mean, to go through that deportation once, uh, and you know, I heard a few times the story of the, uh, ham and cheese sandwiches and my family is seventh day Adventist. So we're not allowed to eat ham. So it just mm. became a cheese sandwich. Mm. Um, <laughs> grandma took out all the ham. Um, so like hearing these stories and hearing, these experiences like i'm grateful that they that my grandma and my grandpa kept pushing to make a life here because the opportunities were here and not there there weren't you know they didn't have the job opportunities they didn't have the the economic opportunities in mexico that they had in the states and so that's why they kept coming back yeah yeah and they fought for that mhm and then here you are. And now here I am. I get yeah. to enjoy the fruits of those labors because I was I was born here. I was raised here. I grew up here. I've never known yeah. anything Yeah, and different. it sounds like from what you said last time, you haven't experienced much racial profiling or race hatred towards you. And yet really. a lot of Latinx people in the United States do. I mean, people are still being deported and picked up and there's For sure. Things. Hidden oh, yeah. detention centers, and I mean, it's I feel like it's gotten horrific. worse over the past. It's really horrific. I feel like it's gotten worse over the past several years. Not yeah. Better. So, in terms of connectivity, how do you feel towards, if I can say, your brothers and sisters? Um, that's that that that's tough. I guess, like. Yeah, and it might be something that you want to take as homework to reflect on. How do I feel? I got to write this down. So yeah. how should I phrase that yeah. question? How do you, what's your connectivity with your Latinx brothers and sisters, knowing some of what's going on, that that the U.S. government does profile Latinx people, does invade their homes and deport them to this day, that there are all kinds of hidden detention centers in the United States? 
where people I mean, are being held without due process. Not just people, you know, Latinx people, black yeah. people being held without process. You know, I, I, I um, listen to, to my aunts and my mom telling these stories about uh, being deported. And like back then when that was happening to them, like I said, they just got dropped off at the border. Right. And it was a lot easier to come back, right? Right. It was easier so to come back. Sense, I hear what you're saying about it. It's worse in a way. It's worse. Yeah. Because now there are like detention worse. centers yeah. where, like you said, people are getting held for due process for, you know, without due process for, for however long. And then when they do get sent back, it's, it's much harder to get back here. Yeah. Um, and I mean, as I'm thinking about it, I mean, I can tell you, I, I, I don't like that. Yeah. You know, I, 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 how do you, how do you say like the, the argument of there's a right way to immigrate or whatever. It's like, yeah, okay, sure. But like, there's also these words at the bottom of the statue of Liberty of give me your poor, give me your hungry, give me your tired. Like, like there's no reason we have the resources in this country to support, you know, anybody who wants to come over here. And I think that people that want to come over here want to make a better life for themselves. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's not like, you know, thing. it's like they don't want to be supported. They want to find a, a way to work and live and yeah. families and enjoy life. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, as far as like all of that, I, I, I still consider that all to be a huge injustice and, you know, like, that needs to be fixed, but yeah. I don't. Mm, how do There's I say? something there that you're still struggling with. I, there, there... <laughs> I love how expressive you are, Jay. <laughs> For anybody listening, uh, maybe watching, uh, watching me struggle, watching my brain work here. Would and be it's fun like we all struggle with this, right? I mean, I've struggled with it too in, in many different ways. So, so the fact that you're willing to share that is it's inspiring to people. I hope so. I mean, I want to do the best that I can for, you know, for our community, for, for my community uh, on this show, in the world, you know, all these things. Um, and there's still this, like this, this, this disconnect because like all of that stuff happens to other people and you know i i i care about all of these things like i i i i have a heart for for a lot of these things but like i guess i was i was hoping for like this this huge movement like like to just like have this this huge you know what there was but it wasn't with my family it was when I was uh, chatting with Tavo that I had this um, this realization I, I, that that conversation actually was um, incredible. That conversation was really really good. So some so of the share things, the realization you had with us. Sure. So the realization that I had. Let me uh, see where exactly. I have it in my notes here. One second, one second, one second. When it comes to assimilation. Okay, here it is. So we talked about um, assimilation being a tool of integration 
right? So like the external forces, assimilation is a tool of integration mm -hmm. where society is getting people to uh, assimilate to the culture, which in and of itself, I don't think is necessarily a, a bad thing. You know, when you go, if I were to move to Italy, I would be expected to learn Italian and, you know, do Italian things, right? So in and of itself isn't bad, but uh, then it's also a survival mechanism internally. So when I talk about like my, my mom and my aunts who didn't know English and so very quickly mm -hmm. learned learned it. But when assimilation can be weaponized. So my friend Tavo is gay. And so for him, growing up gay and having to act straight, this whole idea of be gay, yeah. just yeah. not in front of me. And the reason yeah. why that was so moving is because that was me. Right. Mm -hmm. I was on the other side of that saying, be gay, just not in front of me. Right. And yeah. it wasn't until this conversation that I had with uh, with my with my wife, Vanessa, that I said something like that to her and she just started crying. I mean, she was mm -hmm. like on the verge of breaking up with me right then that second. Wouldn't have blamed her. Um, luckily, she 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 held out and 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 gave me an opportunity to to learn. Um, but that moment, like when I realized that assimilation can, can be, be weaponized yeah. that way. Like that was, that was a really moving. Like I, I, I was in tears talking to him. I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. Like this just really hit because of that belief that I held yeah. for so long. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean that, that conversation, um, Another another thing that I'm standing out that that's standing out here in my notes uh, that I starred was that people are not racist, but can act in racist ways. So we need to designate the behavior, not necessarily the person. So yeah. it's easier to tell somebody that is a racist thing to do or to say. Yes. Not saying you're a racist, but that is a racist thing to do or a racist thing to say. Yeah, one of my favorite expressions from my conflict resolution training is hard on the problem, soft on the people, which is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. 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 yeah that I love that. So, yeah, um, some of the other assimilation things that we talked about was, uh, you know, how in school we were all you know, indoctrinated with the Pledge of Allegiance and, and America the Beautiful. Yes. And I'm like, remembering all of these things. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. totally did that. Stand up, put our hands over our hearts, and we hear all this. Um, I guess, though, you know, these are the things that we're taught in our American schools. Isn't that, like, expected? I mean, if I was in Mexico, then we'd probably be doing the Mexican Pledge of Allegiance if they have one. Uh, and listening to the Mexican national anthem. Isn't that just something kind of that's the country you're in and that's where you're getting your education. So well, this is what we do. I think the United States is different though. And so is Canada because we're, we're two countries that are built on immigration and well, mm -hmm. first of all, we're built on genocide of first nations. Right. But, um, but most countries have that kind of genocide. It's just, thousands of years farther back. In fact, in North America, I think 
were the first or among the first, I suppose Australia is as well, to actually look at the fact that we've built mm. our nations on genocide. And so we sense. live yeah. in different times where we're really questioning that. And then if, if the United States is made up of Latinx and black people and Asian people and white people and Jewish people, then all of these and Hindu people, then all of these different cultures have a place. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. But aren't we all kind of gathered under this one banner of America? I mean, this, this, this melting pot as it were, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I know that there's probably there's issues with that term. I, I haven't done enough research to know exactly what that is, but like that was, that was the America that I grew up learning about. That was the, like, like the, but how the, does that work when there's detention centers? I mean, we're talking about tens of thousands of people, right? Right. I mean, there's so, detention centers so there's and there's some, prisons. There's some hypocrisy there that mm -hmm. we, as a nation, I mean, I'm a former American. I'm a former U.S. citizen, so I'm saying we, from that point sure, of view, sure. um, have the privilege to be able to go. Hey, we need to look at this. We do because we aren't one people equal. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Right. I mean, there's there's a lot of that stuff that definitely needs reform, and those problems are, I don't know. I mean, they're they're, they're bigger than me i guess like i don't have the answers to that i know but you want to create a more inclusive polyamorous uh -huh. podcast so it seems to me that you are weaving that in to what you're doing that there is perhaps you know what you were talking about your admiration for your family how they mm -hmm. um overcome those odds to settle in the united states that you see that among other people that are coming from other countries to the United States or that were forced to come here as, as African-Americans were. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or other, uh, because that's a way to find your connectivity is that compassion that you have for your family's story. You have it for other people. I mean, I see that in you, right? Like, yeah. The more we talk, it's like, well, no wonder you want to create an inclusive space. Cause that was a question that I, I kind of had, but it, it makes more sense to me now where you're coming from. Why do I want to have a no, it makes more sense to me now that you do because you, you know, you see that it's obvious to you that the importance of it and that it opens you. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I don't like that conversation you had with your wife uh -huh. where you were acknowledging your homophobia. Yeah. Right. Totally. And she was crying and then you were crying, right? Like, you're, yeah. you're the kind of person that wants to break down those walls that are inside you. Or I do. Them. I yeah. do. I want to be better because I believe that we really can create a better world. I mean, I don't have the answers to so, what, what do I do so about those detention let's centers. Let's talk but, about this book sure. that you recommended to me. Yes, you, absolutely. You told me before the last time we were on the show 12 days ago, that you had been reading this book, Love's Not Colorblind by mm -hmm. Kevin E. Patterson. And so when you mentioned it, I went and got it from the library and I read it. And um, you're wonderful. <laughs> and it's a pretty cool book. I learned yeah, what lot. do you think? Yeah, I learned a lot from it. I'm, I'm wondering, it seems to me there's a lot of clues there 
for what you've been, um, you know, for our purpose here today, which is how do I create a more inclusive polyamory podcast? Yes, yes, absolutely. And the biggest thing that stood out to me from that book uh, was this this one lesson. If I'm not being actively inclusive, then I'm being passively exclusive. And that's why like, I wanted to look to specifically the BIPOC polyam community and get those voices. Uh, I have someone who sent me a message on uh, Instagram, uh, a gay man uh, who is talking about the specific nuances of being gay and polyamory. So he's, you know, he's got a bunch of questions for me, um, specifically talking about being gay and polyamorous. And I'm like, okay, well, I need to find like that specific type of person with experience in polyamory to, to touch on that, you know, for, for that community. My goal yeah. with, with this podcast was to, to create that so that, to be inclusive, to mm -hmm. and um, also include people with disabilities who are polyamorous, yes. or, or yeah, it goes on and on, right? Mm -hmm. So, so there's other clues in his book, like he talks about Black and Poly, which is a meetup group, and it's also a Facebook group of of polyamorous folks who are primarily African American, but you can join of whatever color that you are. So I went and joined it this past week. And there's 26,000 people on there, James. Okay. Facebook. So that's, um, that's your next homework is get out there and join some of these communities so that you can build relationships. And I think once you have relationships with people, you'll be able to invite guests and, um, and you don't have to just do it from a, oh, you're black, I want you to be on my show which is kind of crude and could be othering. Uh -huh, uh -huh. As Patterson points out in his book, he hates it when people do that to him. So that's another valuable thing from the book is that he lays out really clearly. And it's, it's not a thick book folks. Like if you want to, <laughs> book, you can read it pretty quickly. He, he, he lays out the stereotypes that he hates the ways that he feels othered. And that, you know, um, and to approach I, him as a person. I, so I'm an audio. You go into Black and Polly. Uh -huh. you, um, you have to apply. You, there's sure. only one question you have to answer. And then after a few days, they should accept you. Um, you know, I want to see you getting on there and posting and connecting with people. And I don't think you can advertise on there. But once you've started to connect with people, then you can private message them. You can say, hey, I really liked what you said about this. Would you join the show? Would you come on the show? Do you know someone who would be willing to? Um, Definitely. And then another clue that he gives is his um, blog post, Poly Role Models. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I don't know if you've checked it out. He, it doesn't look like he's updated it since about a year, but there's amazing interviews on there with, with people that are willing to be out and polyamorous because that might be your challenge, right? Is to find people that are willing to be right. in on your podcast. And those are people that have been, you know, publicly out of all different colors and types of people. Um, so that's another clue that he gives. All right. And, so I'm um, giving my, 
Go ahead. I did a quick search for Latinx and polyamorous, and I couldn't find any groups, and that kind of surprised me. But maybe through the Black and Poly, you'll you'll find that he mentions lots of other groups in his book that you could connect with. But I would definitely start with those two, Black and Poly, and and Poly role models. And um, and yeah, number one, connect with people as humans, not as oh you're black, so I want you on my show, which is tokenism, which is <laughs> right. one of the number one ways you can annoy people. That's that's the kicker. I mean, that's that's what I did. That was my mistake. That right, you know, which you acknowledged started this this conversation to begin with. Yeah. Um, but by the same token, you know, I'm. I'm now specifically looking for someone who is, you know, a gay male, gay man, you know, you know, in amorous relationships, because that is the specific question that I was asked. And there are nuances specific to that community. Yeah. Well, if you look on poly role models, you'll find some people like that. And you can also, there might be a gay and polyamorous group probably is. I mean, there's all these different sub communities. That's been a real eye opener to me to see how, how big and widespread the polyamory community is. It's kind of exciting. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I'm pretty sure that I've been following uh, poly role, poly role models for, for some time. So that one, yes. Uh, black and poly. I think I, I didn't cause I'm not black. So um, yeah, well, I'm but, not black, but I joined. <laughs> Cool. Well, if you're, if you can, if you can join, I can definitely join. Yeah, so. <laughs> That'll definitely be my next homework. Um, I'll, I'll definitely give some thought to, uh, you know, this, this, my connection to my Latinx brothers and sisters. Um, yeah, I think if you do those things together, you'll be on a really good road, James. That's definitely something to, for me to dig into, you know, as, as I think about it uh, right now, it's like, I, I I can tell you like right now it's more of just a connection to humanity in general. I don't necessarily think of like my connection to other Latinos or, or, you know, whatever. I don't think about my connection specifically that way, or at least I never have. Um, yeah. And maybe but I mean, I, I guess a lot of them will have something that I learned from this, from his book is, he, re he kept reiterating, being black is not my most important identity. My most yeah. important identity is that I'm a nerd. <laughs> you know, he was saying things like that in the book, right? I feel that. So it doesn't have to be your most important identity. And yet, last time I had a sense you were excluding it. I don't get that sense this time. I feel like you've really embraced something in your heart between last time and this time. Yeah. And that you've opened yourself to continue to explore it. And that's really all all that you need to do. You know, as, as we're talking and as I'm thinking about this connection with my uh, Latinx brothers and sisters, you know, and, and I think about Tavo and I think about, uh, you know, my own friends, my own families, um, you know, everybody has this type of story, right? Like a lot of them are going to have, are going to be first, second, maybe third generation. Yeah. And a lot of them, may have grandparents who are still alive that can tell the story of actually coming to America. Um, if not, they'll have, you know, parents or, and, or, or tias, right. Tias and tios that uh, will also have that, that experience of coming to America, whether it was when they were very young or 
uh, you know, maybe a little bit older if, if you know, those, those people are first generation, whatever the case might be. But we all share a lot of these stories. And I, I don't know how many of them came over legally, right? I don't know how many people um, it, it did it the right way or whatever crap they want to throw out there. Like, when, when, once you get here, man, just, just be here. Like, contribute to society. You're good. You know, but that's that's how I feel. Um, but um, but yeah, like like as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, they all are going to have this. This type of story, this, you know, this type of family background, so uh, I'll definitely think more on it and uh, and and do some writing and some introspection there and get back to you on that. Excellent. Yeah. And also, I'm going to uh, reread "Loves Not Colorblind." Maybe I'll actually get the physical book. I'm I'm an audiobook person, mm. so I listened to it right at least twice. Yeah, um, it might be good to get on Kindle, then you could search it. Yeah, that might be a good thing to do, or actually buy the physical book somehow, some way, so I can yeah. take notes and you know do that whole thing. Yeah, there's um, a lot of other clues in there. I just was; those were the low hanging fruit that he that he gave us. That I want awesome. to really underscore today. Yeah. Well, it's been great to reconnect with you, James. It really has. Olivia, thank you so much for, uh, again, spending some time with me, for uh, coaching me through this. I really appreciate it. Um, before we head out, can you tell people uh, if they want to work with you, if they want to learn from you, if they want to be coached by you or whatever uh, whatever other services it is that you offer, how can people get in touch with you and uh, what can you help them with? Yeah, so I'm a counselor and a coach, and I also do constellations of Bert Hellinger work. So you can find me on Facebook, on Instagram. My handle's right there, Olivia underscore Fermi. My website is fermi.ca, and I, I just love whatever issue you might be bringing to counseling. I love to help people connect with their heart and their true nature and help help you shed whatever's not working for you, connect to your inner strength and your ability to connect to people. So I look forward to hearing from whoever wants to work with me or connect with me. Perfect. You, perfect. Awesome. Thank you again, Olivia, so much for uh, spending some time with me and a huge thank you to our live audience as always for tuning in. As a reminder, when we're live, you don't get any commercial interruptions, but the same can't be said for the podcast download. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday, 2.30 Pacific time, or sign up for Patreon where you'll get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is that you download your podcast, if you haven't already, and please leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. That is all we've got for you all today. Thank you once again to Olivia, and for all the rest of you, until tomorrow. Have a nice day! Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolya.